Welcome to the Digital Edge with Sharon Nelson and Jim Calloway. Your hosts, both legal technologists, authors, and lecturers, invite industry professionals to discuss a new topic related to lawyers and technology. You're listening to Legal Talk Network. Welcome to the 167th edition of the Digital Edge Lawyers and Technology. We're glad to have you with us. I'm Sharon Nelson, President of Sensei Enterprises, an information technology, cybersecurity, and digital forensics firm in Fairfax, Virginia. And I'm Jim Calloway, Director of the Oklahoma Bar Association's Management Assistance Program. Today, our topic is the future of digital court reporting. Our guest today is Tony Cerna, the Legal Strategist and Customer Success Manager at Verbit. Tony has over 20 years of experience in legal and the implementation of technology. He currently oversees the legal vertical at Verbit. Previously, he was Director of Customer Services for Workshare, a legal tech company supporting Amlaw 100 clients. So thanks for joining us today, Tony. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here with both of you today. Well, why don't we start, Tony, by having you tell us a little bit about Verbit and the kind of customers you serve and what you do. Verbit is a, essentially, if you think of Verbit, we are an end-to-end speech-to-text company powered by our AI engine that provides transcription, captioning, and translation for a couple of different verticals. They include legal, court reporting, education, higher ed, media, corporate, and government. Uh, Verbit's been in business for five years, and we are based here in the States, and also our corporate headquarters is in Tel Aviv. So, Tony, how is the transcription industry that you're a part of seeking to change the legal industry? Transcription in the legal industry, and I would say transcription overall, has been traditionally done primarily through stenographic means, particularly in the legal industry. These are professionals trained not only in court reporting, but also in stenographic reporting or shorthand reporting. It's essentially the way we did quick transcription prior to the invention of uh, the technology we have today. I would say if we had a look at speech to text today overall, and in particular as it applies to the legal industry for legal transcription, it's adding what we call scalability and horsepower via a combination of speech-to-text recognition with different artificial intelligence models with humans, with people, to the industry to basically overcome what we're seeing as a supply shortage within the legal industry of trained stenographers and even voice writers at this point. So which digital court reporting technologies would you say hold the most promise for improving the flow of proceedings? Are they all AI-powered? There are a number of different technologies available today. Uh, Some of them have been around for quite a long time. You start with the capture side, right? How do we capture a proceeding? The courts have adopted, particularly the federal courts, adopted digital recording many years ago. It's allowed through the federal rules of procedure. It then comes over to the, which is essentially the uh, deposition or the insurance marketplace to be used in depositions as well. So you have capture technology. You have a number of different providers out there who provide tools not only to do the digital recording, but also to give the reporter the ability to take notes during the proceeding, timestamps, add tags, go on off the record. That's one part of it. Post-proceeding, this is, let's say, when the deposition has ended, you now have the introduction 
of uh, speech recognition with AI. That's where Verbit comes into play. And so you can do two or three depositions in a day. The agency can upload the file to us. We will, of course, have had a very comprehensive implementation and set up for their particular proceedings. And we will do the transcription off the ASR. The ASR gives you a very fast, essentially rough cut or rough draft. And then our transcribers will come in to add the human element to it to ensure the accuracy. And after that, you obviously have the ability to, and this is with any ASR technology, the agency can take the transcript back and can then further finalize it or they can send it out to their client. So there's a couple of different aspects to the technology in the transcription industry. One, of course, is the capture, which is very important. There's a couple of modalities to that. You know, even the stenographic community has a number of different types of software it uses out there, digital reporting or voice reporting, the transcription of it, and then the ability to turn that into a final product or the production of it. Tony, you've cited research stating that 50% of depositions will continue to occur virtually or remotely, even once all pandemic-related restrictions are lifted. Can you speak to this a bit more and why you think that may be the case? Yeah, that's a great question. The 50% number comes from a survey. I don't have the specific data offhand, but marketing can provide that to you. In addition to anecdotally what we're seeing within our own customer base and we're hearing from the industry. If you think of the pandemic, the pandemic isn't necessarily the the root cause of why people are using digital because the technology has been there for a long time. But what the pandemic did is force the industry participants, and that includes the practitioners, the attorneys, the courts, the court reporting agencies to rapidly adapt overnight to an unknown situation. And from what I've seen and what we've all seen in this industry, this proved two facts. Number one, extreme resiliency of the industry. Courts had to adapt overnight. Attorneys had to figure out different ways of getting deposition done. And the court reporting agencies were suddenly faced with, well, how do I do this remote? The technology was already there. Zoom, for example, was one way. WebEx is another way of doing it. The audio recording was there. What really had to be figured out was how do we do this procedurally? How do we share exhibits? How do we prep witnesses? Or how do we ask the appropriate questions when the attorneys are not in person? I have several attorneys in the family, and I do know that the preference is to be in person. It's part of the strategy during a deposition. But that all changed, and it changed in a very uncertain situation. No one knew if this would be a two-month pandemic, a two-year pandemic, or a three-year pandemic. We're going into year two, and we have another variant, but what we don't have is uncertainty. So the 50% is the survey that we have, which is all of a sudden the legal industry said, okay, we have the Zoom technology. We have the ability to take transcriptions differently. We have ways to handle the legal strategy online. We don't necessarily need to go back to in-person for all case types and all proceedings. And of course, that's highly dependent upon two specific criteria. One, what is the civil rule of procedure in the state or for the particular trial? And what is the preference of the practicing attorney in the type of case? So what we're seeing is that it went from being not ideal but workable to practical and preferred for certain types of work. And I'll give you an example of that. A large percentage of the deposition taken in this country are insurance related. They're driven by the large insurance companies or the carriers. Traditionally, they were flying attorneys around to take depositions. They've learned now to do those remote. And because it came down to, do we really need to 
expend this cost and do travel for a 20, 30 minute, even an hour and a half deposition when it can be done remote. And it's a different type of case. There are also other types of proceedings, and I know this through my accounts, where you do need that in-person examination or proceedings, court proceedings, jury trials. So we think it's going to stay at a 50% level simply because it uncovered the fact that for certain proceedings in certain type of situations, you don't always need to be in person. Now, that said, as I said before, it's going to be highly dependent upon what the attorney's personal preference practice is, the type of case. Is it a complex arbitration? Certainly jury trials are something that weren't addressed very well during COVID remote. It's just not practical. So that's why we feel it's here to stay. The technology was always there. The situation allowed the technology to be exposed and adapted into the attorney's practice. Before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick commercial break. Be the best resource you can for your Spanish-speaking clients with the Spanish Group's Legal Translation Service. Experienced translators ensure accurate translation of your documents with same-day delivery. Confidentiality is ensured and the Spanish Group guarantees acceptance for certified translations. All that and their rates are competitive. If you need other languages, the Spanish Group translates in over 140 languages. Mention Legal Talk 20 when you request your quote for 20% off your first translation. Visit thespanishgroup.org. Delegate out those tasks that take up your time. Staffy can help you with your legal, administrative, marketing, and even client-facing workload. Hiring Staffy's top-notch bilingual virtual staff means Staffy does the recruiting, hiring, and training for you. Then, if you need a change, Staffy handles it. You get to concentrate on your strategic work. Schedule a free consultation at staffy.cc. That's S-T-A-F-I dot C-C and get $500 off with code HAPPY24. Welcome back to the Digital Edge on the Legal Talk Network. Today, our subject is the future of digital court reporting. Our guest is Tony Cerna, the Legal Strategist and Customer Success Manager at Verbit. Tony has over 20 years of experience in legal and the implementation of technology and currently oversees the legal vertical at Verbit. Previously, he was Director of Customer Success for Workshare, a legal tech company supporting Amlaw 100 clients. Tony, given your past experience working for the legal industry, you know that the legal profession is slow to change and resistant to anything that changes what we have to do. But I wanted to ask you about the objections I hear about security with, you know, remote depositions and such. There was a recent story in the ABA Journal where an individual was suspended for texting information to his client during an audio-only deposition. The most interesting part of that story was how he got caught. The other attorney sent him a text message and said, are you texting your client? And he wrote back, no, no, my spouse or my family or something. And then he continued texting the instructions to the opposing counsel. Don't answer that. <laughs> Say you don't remember and whatever. So do you guys ever get questioned about security tools? We do get questions about security. For us, it's a different situation. There you have bad behavior, essentially, in terms of what was done. I'm not familiar with the specific article. Many of the organizations in legal IT and in most of the IT industries are held to a pretty high standard, and that means that we have to comply with certain international organizations or associations such as uh, the Surface Organization, which is SOC 2, HIPAA compliance, GDPR, 
All of these are either international schemes or government-driven security organizations that regulate, for instance, if data is breached, uh, when do you have to notify an individual by data is breached? Uh, you have to get audited on a yearly basis. And if you look at the underlying technology, for instance, that we use or other technologies companies or even law firms, you know, they'll be on Amazon or AWS, which has a very high level of security compliance, also does DOD work. So there's the platform security, which is the technology security, and then there's the behavioral security, which is somebody texting somebody or somebody giving information away that they shouldn't. Yeah, that was an interesting story. All right. <laughs> but let me uh, go on to something else. I know a lot of people think that some of these digital shifts have been solely attributed to COVID, but are there other factors that you think are playing a role here? I think you've got a couple of things going on. Uh, if you take a look at the court reporting industry, for example, you have a limited supply of current professionals who can service the demand out there. What happens is technology, as with other industries, comes in to try to make up the gap to that. I think you also have to look at the workforce and the maturity of the workforce and also workforce development, uh, whether it's new attorneys coming into law firms or new people coming into court reporting. These are folks who are very digitally capable, right? So they're demanding different types of technology out there. And you also have, you know, the courts themselves, which have been looking more at digital technologies in various ways. They started with digital recording. It then became okay at the federal level with the federal rules, adapting it. And law firms themselves, everything from email security, the metadata scrubbing, to e-discovery, right, which I'm very fascinated in. And it's amazing what's going on on that side of the house with artificial intelligence to help expedite the discovery process. So the law firms themselves, particularly the larger ones, have tremendous IT operations. And so, it, again, digital's not new. It's how the applications have changed. Do you have a sense of how legal professionals, including the judiciary, are reacting to the concept of remote proceedings from the beginning of the pandemic up until the present? And what do you think the future may be? Great question. I still think it's mixed. I think you have a subsegment that went 100% into doing remote proceedings where they could. There's a number of proceedings where it just doesn't work. Not being an attorney, but understanding that in-person uh, jury trials, hearings, complex arbitrations are very different than a one-to-one -one deposition. The courts, I think, have adopted it more in terms of, and because they've, they've done telephonic hearings, they've done different telephonic proceedings already, and they adapted to it. So I think it's still mixed. And I would say, again, what I said earlier, it went from, you know, being workable but not ideal to being preferred in certain practices. Well, how do you think the court reporting workforce is likely to evolve over the next 10 years? Great question. That's a long time frame, I think, uh, but it, <laughs> it, it, for, for me at least. Whether it's five years or 10 years, like any other industry, it's going to take time. People will often say legal is slow to adopt. And while the legal industry is slow to adopt a technology, there's a reason for it, right? Because there's a lot at stake. So it's not, you know, it's not something that's just going to go happen overnight. And in court reporting itself, the big change, I think, is going to be in workforce development. There's just not enough people going into traditional means of court reporting, which is stenographic or voice writing. This is not an unknown fact it's something that exists today. How do you fill that? Do we get more people into stenography? This is not to say stenography won't be around, but I, I have children in college, and I can tell you the idea of going into stenography, it, I mean, doing that type of work is very analog to them. They don't understand why you just can't record it and do some transcription from there. So where's the workforce coming from the industry? And I think the growth 
is going to come from the digital side of the house for digital reporting. That said, three modalities of reporting, essentially, which is our stenographic reporting, voice writing, and transcription post-proceeding or digital reporting. And the growth is going to come from digital reporting. Less barrier to entry because you're separating being a professional court reporter from having to do the stenography or analog type of typing. And it opens it up to focusing on the digital recording. And I think that's where you're going to get the growth from. Uh, The other aspect in 10 years is what is the life cycle of a particular agency today? Okay, we know the industry is a staid industry. It tends to be mature. Are agency owners looking at selling their agencies? Are they looking at retiring and therefore making a big move to digital? Does it make sense at this time? Has the agency been sold off or going in a different direction and able to adapt digital and hire and train individuals? So in in 10 years, I just think you'll see more digital reporting. I do still think you'll have stenographers and you'll have voice writers out there. And in particular, I think you're going to see significant improvements and change to AI models and speech recognition, where today you can get 87 to 90% in ideal conditions. You'll be at a point sooner than 10 years, much sooner, where you're at much higher levels of first-past accuracy, being able to do very highly accurate speaker identification when somebody's speaking. Before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick commercial break. Filing court documents, serving legal papers, collecting electronic signatures, all critical parts of the litigation process, yet ones that are time-consuming and error-prone. But what if you could do more straight from your case or document management software? InfoTrack automates data entry, document selection, tracking, and information syncing across all these core tasks and more by integrating with your core systems like Clio, Smokeball, Leap, MyCase, and others. Spend more time on substantive legal work and less time on busy work. Learn how simple it can be at infotrack.com simple. Welcome back to the Digital Edge on the Legal Talk Network. Today, our subject is the future of digital court reporting, and our guest is Tony Cerna, the Legal Strategist and Customer Success Manager at Verbit. Tony, what do agencies need to keep in mind in order not to fall behind? I think I mentioned this before, and I I keep using the word life cycle because I see this a lot in the industry. Where are they in the maturity of their life cycle? Okay, because using more digital technologies does require a bit of a change. And I'm going to reemphasize this again. I think the key is still going to be workforce development. How do you hire train and sustain people to do digital reporting to service your customer base? What are the technology sets that they need? For example, you may have a reporter who's very good at in-person, but less technically proficient, but somebody trained as a reporter who does much better technology-wise dealing with remote reporting. And that includes being able to share exhibits digitally. There are now technologies out there that do secure exhibit sharing and, and secure breakout rooms. So one size doesn't necessarily fit all, but how do you train your reporters to have these new and different roles? And where you practice is very important too. What's your access to a workforce that has the training for this? What schools are available? How do you pay them? How do you socialize them into your 
law firm clients who may not necessarily have had experience with uh, non-stenographic reporting. And fundamentally, they have to be trained reporters. They have to understand civil procedure. They have to understand how to manage the proceeding, how to do the swearing, et cetera. So that, that is what I'm hearing is key. What doesn't necessarily prevent a smaller agency, for example, from moving forward as the technology. You can always buy technology. It's the right people trained to do the right job. And that's across the board. So I think workforce development is key in addition to your local marketplace, in addition to socializing that within the market you hire. The other aspect is with remote proceedings, with new technologies such as exhibit sharing, digital real-time depositions, which is starting to emerge in the marketplace, is you don't have to practice where you live necessarily. And so you can open your services where you can. Again, I'm always going to go back to referencing what the civil rules of procedure are for a specific state, jurisdiction, et cetera. But you can expand your services now beyond where you live. And that's, I think, very new. While I still believe most of the reporting industry is is a local business in the sense that you have to establish relationships with the firms and the litigators, you also have the ability to work with other agencies and also take on work that you may not have been able to do because you were restricted to time, location, place, and limited resources. Well, Tony, for one final question, we'll ask you to peer into your crystal ball and say how large you think the transcription market can potentially be in the future. Very interesting question, and I think it varies. I think if you talk about transcription outside of legal and you talk about it globally, it's huge. I, I'll throw the word billions out there. I don't have any particular data on the on the sizing itself. I've read statistics that the uh, legal industry itself is up to $2 billion in total revenue, just looking at all the players out there. But if you think of transcription outside of just court reporting transcription, but other services, so for instance, providing captioning services and cart services for courts, right, to work with people who have uh, hearing impairments, opening it up to transcribing and providing captioning for video for testimony. It's a much bigger market. And then you multiply the technology. You know, there's voice to text with AI, but the applications vary. Education, media, ESPN, doing captioning on that. Corporate earnings calls, corporate meetings, uh, phone calls, it's huge. That's all I can say right now on that. Well, you said a great deal today, very illuminating, and I know that I didn't know a great deal about digital court reporting since I'm not normally in the courtroom or or at least remotely in the courtroom. So it was great to have all of this background and backdrop and the predictions for the future. So thank you very much, Tony, for taking the time to be with us as our guest today. Thank you very much. It's been my pleasure. That does it for this edition of the Digital Edge Lawyers and Technology. And remember, you can subscribe to all of the editions of this podcast at LegalTalkNetwork.com or on Apple Podcasts. And if you enjoyed our podcast, please rate us at Apple Podcasts. Thanks for joining us. Goodbye, Miss Sharon. Happy trails, cowboy. Thanks for listening to the Digital Edge, produced by the broadcast professionals at Legal Talk Network. Join Sharon Nelson and Jim Calloway for their next podcast covering the latest topic related to lawyers and technology. Subscribe to the RSS feed on LegalTalkNetwork.com or in iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.